0: Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia.
1: GAHI's Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Visera. Viserra offers the leading platform for hands-free clinical communication, workflow optimization, and alarm management. Viserra simplifies and improves the lives of healthcare professionals and patients while enabling hospitals to enhance quality of care and operational efficiency.
2: Okay, we're ready to go. Welcome everyone. I'm Bruce Lloyd, Gahees Executive Director, and it's my pleasure to introduce Gahi's President, Angela Henry. Angela do you want to go ahead and start with our announcements
3: of course welcome Um, great to see everyone here and very exciting topic that we have today Uh, so thank you all first and foremost for being here it is my honor to welcome you to Gahi's leadership series webinar featuring dr. Lily Jung Henson CEO at Piedmont Augusta hub I'd like to start our meeting by recognizing our sponsors and expressing our gratitude to our corporate partners. Our platinum partners include Wellstar Health System and Atrium Health Navicent. Gold include Piedmont Healthcare, Metro Atlanta Ambulance, Vosera, Sound Physicians, Snap Nurse, Vizia, and our newest gold sponsor is Northeast Georgia Health System. Silver sponsors include DT Spade, KCA Firm, Vivlio Health, SSR Inc., and Nagel & Associates. We do have a ton of outstanding events coming up put on by our programs committee uh, listed here. You can also always find all of our programs and details and ways to register at www.gahi.org. But our next in-person event is at Maggiano's in Buckhead on Peachtree on Thursday, May 18th from 1130 a.m. to two o'clock p.m. It's our monthly in-person lunch and learn. The topic will be, it's all about vision, the role vision plays in your strategic planning process. That program will offer 1.5 hours of ACHE face-to-face credit with networking, both before and after the lunch program. GAHI does offer several ways to stay connected through social social media and using Facebook, our new LinkedIn page, Instagram, and now Twitter. We'd also like to invite you to get involved by serving on one of GAHI's committees. Contact GAHI for more information. Today's program offers one hour of ACHE qualified credit, which can be self-reported on the ACHE website. I'd also like to give a very special thank you to today's leadership series sponsor, Comhar Partners. And now to hand over, it's my pleasure to introduce Marian Spears Carr, Managing Director for Comhar Partners, who will introduce Dr. Henson and tell you a little bit about Comhar Partners. Marian.
1: Yeah, thank you, Angela. It's great to be here. It's great to be a part of this webinar series. And in particularly, very excited about our guest speaker today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mary Speace Carr. I'm the managing director for healthcare and life sciences for Kamar Partners. We are an international executive search firm that specializes in healthcare and life sciences and a lot of other industries with my other partners. One of the things that we believe separates us from the people that we work with is this idea that leadership in today's context needs to come from a lot of different aspects and and need to have a view of leadership that's far more holistic than in the past. We're an experienced executive search firm, but our key focus is finding leaders who can make a huge impact, not only on the quality of the work and services that the organizations that we work with provide, but also the culture and the connection with the, the people in that organization and the community. That's what we do at Comar Partners. We work with healthcare, private equity, and related organizations across a lot of different platforms. And it's my pleasure to be here and be a sponsor for this particular, today's webinar. Our webinar, this is the our leadership series, and we've had some great speakers, but I'm really excited about today. Our, our speaker today is Dr. Lily Young Hunson, Henson. She's the chief executive officer, as Angela talked about, for the Piedmont Augusta Hub. That is uh, the consists of three different campuses: the Piedmont Augusta, Maine, Piedmont Somerville, and McDuffie. Dr. Henson has previously served as chief executive officer and chief medical officer at Piedmont Henry Hospital in Stockbridge. And other leadership roles she's had include Chief of Neurology at Piedmont Healthcare in Atlanta, Vice President of Medical Service Affairs at Swedish Ballard Hospital, Chief of Staff at Swedish Issaquah Hospital, and the latter two roles in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Henson is a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives, and, and which is really uh, a critical piece and connection from a physician and a physician leader, and is a former Thomas E. Dolan Scholar. She previously served as a region at large covering the southeastern US for ACHE. And Dr. Hansen has a great background as a board certified neurologist and a lot of other different aspects. But one of the reasons that I really wanted her to be a part of and speak to us is around this transition from being a physician, a neurologist, and all those accomplishments into. Leadership. So Dr. Henson, I'm gonna hand it off to you to maybe introduce yourself further. Thank you for being a part of today's discussion and um just proud to have you here.
4: Well, thank you so much. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. So uh, Bruce, do you have my slides up? While um, those are being pulled up, um, I just wanna say thank you for having me here. It's really fun to be back, uh, hanging out with my GAHI colleagues. It's been a number of years. Uh, It's particularly hard for those of us who are out in the hinterlands right uh, to be able to come to some of the meetings downtown. Uh, So uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do this via zoom. Um, So I'm just going to tell you a little bit uh, about the journey that I've been on. Uh, and uh, we'll go from there. So I've been a neurologist for over 30 years, spent most of my professional career, uh, my clinical career in Seattle, uh, but was also involved with leadership uh, fairly early on. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, you know Piedmont Healthcare is a 22 hospital system uh, in the state of Georgia. Uh, University Health was previously an independent healthcare organization here in Augusta and joined the Piedmont family in March of 2021. And this January, I was um, uh, fortunate enough to start uh, as the CEO for the Augusta Hub here. So really excited to be uh, in Augusta. So uh, next slide, please, Bruce. So, why physician leaders? You know, we we uh, there's lots of uh, talks and top and discussion about why uh, it's critical to have physicians at the leadership table, and uh, I'll talk about that as we move along. Next slide. Um, So I went into medicine, I decided to become a physician when I was in second grade, when uh, my second grade teacher taught us about organ systems and really got interested in in medicine. And I'm really grateful to have been able to get uh, my uh, MD degree back in 1986, quite a long time ago, uh, because I love taking care of patients. And uh, early on in my career, uh, during my clinical career, I also had the opportunity to take courses through uh, what is now AEPL, but back then was the American College of Healthcare Executives, really learned that leadership um, in healthcare meant that I was able to improve the care, not just for one patient, but for multiple patients. And being able to improve the care of the community really was something that uh, motivated me. Next slide, please. So uh, the other reason I thought it was good to go into leadership was because, you know, I got tired of people calling me bossy. So <laughs> I uh, I, uh, I particularly love this slide because uh, sometimes like uh, being uh, clear about what, you know, expectations are and being clear about what it is you wanna do and wanting to have a voice uh, can be misinterpreted. Next slide, please. So I know that there's a lot of data out there um, that talks about the importance of having clinical folks, particularly physicians, being involved in decision making uh, that ultimately impacts patient care. And so um, I think you know there's been a lot of chatter, a lot of emphasis towards getting more physicians involved in leadership roles uh, since you know I first entered uh, the medical field uh, in, in the 90s. So uh, there's more and more demand for uh, physician leaders and including physician CEOs. Next slide please. So, um, you know, one of the things that make um, physicians good leaders, I think, is because we do approach decision making from a clinical perspective. Um, we are used to making decisions, right? Uh, sometimes too quickly by virtue of our training, and uh, and another reason for uh, for physician leaders is just that you're trusted by your colleagues in the trenches. But it's also important to talk about what. Uh, what is important for a physician to be successful in a leadership role. Um, it's about the importance of uh, self-awareness, being able to Understand the impact that one has on uh, the people around them. Being able to model vulnerability, which is something that I don't think we're usually taught to do in in uh, medical school, and understanding ourselves. Um, so, having a good balance of the skills that make us good clinicians, but also those skills that are important for leaders, uh, is is something that's really important. Next slide. So, again, um, you know, in in medical school, we're taught to be really task oriented, identify the problem, fix the problem, move on. We're used to uh, expecting uh, to be the to be the leaders, right, to to make decisions, to be uh, the person who ultimately carries the responsibility of what happens to the patient um, and making decisions pretty quickly and and expecting others to to listen to what we have to say and move forward. I think that's kind of the the traditional route that uh, physicians go through as part of our training. Um, And it takes a different set of skills to be a good leader, uh, particularly as a physician, right? Learning that you can't just give orders that you need to work together collaboratively with others. Uh, to collaborate, to listen well, uh, rather than uh, just uh, sharing what your opinions are, recognizing that uh, solutions don't come quickly, but really take time. I think that's probably one of my biggest struggles is uh, learning that just because I think something needs to be fixed, that I can't get an answer or a solution that gets um, operationalized immediately. Uh, working across lines, working with a lot of different people from with different backgrounds to come up with a better solution because everyone brings something to the table and allows us to um, to come up with a solution that makes sense. So, th- so that's the difference between what I think we're used to doing as physicians versus what um, I think all of us in leadership roles are accustomed to. One of the hard things for physician leaders is uh, sometimes losing the connection with our, our physician colleagues. And, and sometimes um, you have to be very careful that you don't get labeled uh, you know, uh, being a quote suit um, and losing the, the respect and, and um, support of, of physician colleagues. So it's a fine line that I think we've learned to walk. Next slide, please. So um, obviously having good relation. Uh... Uh, a good ability to develop relations with others is something that's important both for a clinician but also for uh, those of us in leadership roles but really growing our leadership skills not just management skills management of people but being able to lead others even those that those that we don't uh, are not ultimately responsible for on a on an org chart is really really critical and at some point your technical skills as a clinician becomes much less relevant Uh, that certainly is true in my my uh, current case where I'm no longer um, expected to be the subject matter expert in neurology, although that's how most people still think of me. They come up to me and despite the, you know, my name tag and and my title, uh, still expect me to go uh, be available to be a neurologist, when in fact, hopefully that's not my only uh, value to the organization that I lead. So next slide, please. So, um, there's good literature to support that physician leaders, and in particular, physician CEOs, um, can uh, impact the quality of care that is provided. And this article by Amanda Goodall is often quoted with respect to the importance of having uh, physicians in the top leadership roles in uh, healthcare organizations. Then on the right is a picture of John Noseworthy. He was the CEO of the Mayo Clinic at one point, and he is a neurologist. So for me, uh, he was my role model. I always thought, um, you know, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to be like John Noseworthy's one day. And uh, I'm really grateful. It's not the Mayo Clinic that I'm the CEO of, but I am grateful to be uh, in the the role that I currently have and to follow uh, someone that I've admired from afar. Next slide, please. So uh, there are a growing number of physician CEOs in the country, and this uh, statistic from 90 in 2000 to 282 uh, from a year ago uh, just shows the trend. I don't think that anyone in this room who isn't a physician needs to necessarily worry about their job security. Um, I don't think that only physician CEOs um, is the right answer either, right? But having a uh, some of us at the table is important to be able to bring the uh, physician perspective as we make decisions about how we run our healthcare organizations. Next slide, please. So, um, you know, it's funny, Angela and I were talking uh, before the the meeting started. It is, you know, if you think about when I was preparing this talk, I was thinking about some of the CEOs that I knew uh, early on my career, and they were um, chosen for their clinical prowess. They were chosen because they were popular with the medical staff. They didn't have any formal business training and really ran the organizations based upon the strength of their personalities. Nowadays, it's very different. And when I talk to my physician colleagues who are interested in leadership, I talk to them about the fact that. It is important to get a graduate degree in um, in management, whether it's an MBA or MPH, or in my case, a master's in medical management back in the day from Tulane, um, having structured um, uh, business training is really important, particularly since it's not a part of the medical school curriculum. It's an assumption you know, it's assumed that you're a good clinician, right? Uh, you cannot be a good leader of others uh, if your clinical skills are not good. And uh, the comment that, uh, again, uh, that Angela and I made earlier was it isn't enough just to get your, your MBA and then expect to be given a role in leadership. You also have to have demonstrated ability to work with medical staff and others um, and also develop some of the skills that are important uh, to be able to be successful in leading a, a healthcare organization. I'll talk a little bit about my own background as we go later on, but um, it's not just enough to graduate, get your, uh, from, from medical school, and then go on to get an MBA, and then suddenly expect to be um, in demand uh, for a, a leadership role within a hospital. Um, you have to have you know, expertise or some experience based upon your strategic uh, or operational and financial expertise as well. Um, It is also important to know that, you know, you don't have to become a, a, you don't have to have you don't have to have been a finance person necessarily, right? Uh, one of the things that I, I appreciate my own system CEO Kevin Brown saying to me when I stepped into the role as CEO at Henry was I knew I would be I was comfortable being the CEO there because I had served as the chief medical officer at Piedmont and Henry, but I mentioned that I wasn't. Um, you know, well-versed obviously in, in uh, finance and in uh, marketing. And his comment to me was don't ever apologize for that. That's why you have, you know, a CFL, you have marketing folks, you know, you're, you're chosen because of your leadership skills and your ability to lead people. And, and I really appreciated that piece of advice from him. Next slide, please. So, there are a lot of resources for those uh, physicians out there who are interested in leadership roles. So, um, you know, there are obviously organizational leadership programs, either through your own healthcare organization. Like I worked for Swedish Healthcare in Seattle and also for Piedmont, and was involved in the leadership. Uh, Academies that both organizations had. And most of us who are in in various professional societies also have exposure to the leadership programs that they have. So through the American Academy of Neurology, which is my professional organization, uh, I again went through a number of leadership programs. The American Association of Physician Leaders, um, which used to be known as the American College of Physician Executives is a great way to get uh, leadership training Uh, for those uh, physicians who want to be surrounded by a cohort of like-minded folks. Uh, So when I got my master's in medical management through AAPL slash Tulane, I was in a class of 30 physician executives uh, learning together. And uh, that's where I got my certificate and that's where I got my uh, master's in medical management. As a higher level um, healthcare executive, I find that ACHE is very helpful, right? Because it's important for me not just to be networking with other physician executives, but with people from finance and from IS and from marketing and, and other, other uh, types of healthcare fields that gives me a broader. Uh, uh, scope of um, exposure. And so, um, ACHE is definitely what I recommend for my colleagues who um, are interested in uh, moving beyond the the typical initial layers of physician leadership. And again, having a master's is is very important to get the basic uh, education that's needed that you don't get in medical school. Next slide, please. So if we talk about a little bit about the taxonomy of healthcare systems, I do this primarily because I think for a lot of physicians in particular, it's very difficult for them to understand the different roles that are available in healthcare. Uh, So obviously, currently as the CEO of a hospital um, hub, uh, I'm in administration, but there's also medical staff leadership. And there's uh, within... Healthcare organizations, in be- uh, there are service line leadership roles. And if you're in a medical school, you could have leadership within a department. Uh, or if you're in a medical group, uh, usually it's part of an employed, it's an employed group, but even in independent medical groups, there are leadership roles that are available. So understanding the difference between all of those and the different sets of skills that you bring in all of those different areas is really important. So I throw that up there just to help folks get their heads around you know uh, the different types of roles that are available next slide please So I don't want you to pass out, but uh, this is just a quick summary of of my experience since I came out of residency in 1990. So spent early part of my career in Seattle, uh, originally as part of minor and James Medical, which was a private medical group, which subsequently became part of Swedish Health Services. I went on to to join Pacific Medical Center, uh, which was also a medical group. Uh, with a different structure, and then went on to be employed by Swedish Health Services, which is a healthcare uh, hospital system in Seattle. Joined Piedmont in 2015, back when we were five hospitals, went back to Swedish for a short period of time, and then came back to Piedmont in 2020. And Black is my clinical, uh, the the roles that I've had uh uh, since coming out of residency. So I've obviously kept my day job as a neurologist, although the number of hours I spend uh, being a neurologist have fluctuated over the years. I've also uh, been involved in um, uh, medical school education as a, as a clinical faculty member of the University of Washington I was also involved in uh, multiple sclerosis uh, research clinical trials. But in red, I've detailed the leadership positions that I've had. Uh, since the 90s, and again, I apologize—it's a long list um, that describe describes the multiple uh, roles that I've had. Now, you can break that down into different, different categories based upon the taxonomy that I just talked about. So, if you go to the next slide, we'll go first to medical groups. So, you know, I joined the medical executive group, uh, medical executive committee of. I became the chair of the compensation committee and I was uh, employed as the medical director of the, of the specialties part of the medical group. Also became, uh, joined the governance council for Swedish as a part of being an employed uh, Swedish uh, neurologist. And then ultimately, uh, when I went back to Swedish in 2020, served as the head of neuro- of the general neurology group within the medical group. So as an employed physician. Those were some of the leadership roles uh, that I had. Next slide, please. Then you think about medical staff leadership. So usually those are representing, representative roles. Uh, usually they are elected roles, but sometimes they are voluntary roles uh, where you serve uh, different committees within a hospital that requires medical staff leadership. So I served for many years uh, in peer review and in credentialing before I became the chair or the vice chair of those committees. But I also um, was elected chief of neurology amongst my, my uh, colleagues within Swedish. I was uh, uh, chosen to be the chief of staff elect for Swedish um, for the, the larger healthcare system when I went back in 2020. So those are medical staff roles, usually are not paid and usually um, and are voluntary. Next step, next slide, please. Service line leadership. So um, at Swedish, uh, we had a large neuroscience institute. So I was uh, for a short period of time, the medical director for the multiple sclerosis program. And when I first came to Piedmont, I was responsible for developing the neuroscience um, service line at Piedmont Healthcare when we were only five hospitals. Next slide, please. And then you go on to hospital leadership. So being the Vice President of Medical Affairs of Swedish Ballard, uh, Chief Medical Officer at Piedmont Henry, CEO at Piedmont Henry, and now CEO at Augusta Hub. These are obviously uh, more senior roles and are usually paid roles. And frequently as a result of those, uh, the higher level of responsibility associated with roles, you end up giving a big uh, up a big portion of your uh, clinical practice. Next slide. Um, I didn't uh, talk about uh, medical school and uh, department leadership roles because I was never really other than being on the clinical faculty at the University of Washington, never really involved with medical school. So this slide is probably um, pretty self explanatory to most of you in leadership, but it talks about the different titles, but the roles that were responsible. So. As the medical director of neurology for the medical group, I was responsible for operational issues, as opposed to the medical director of the multiple sclerosis program, it was really more programmatic development. Um, I talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of positions are elected. So chief of neurology, chief of staff, uh, chief of the council of medical executives committees, those are elected roles. Whereas for some like credentialing and, um, peer review quality, they were voluntary. And then you rise up to becoming the chair of those departments. And then later on, um, more, uh, Uh, employed roles, right, as chief medical officer or CEO. So the different types of roles change uh, depending upon what type of leadership position it is, and also depends upon the hospital that you're in. So for example, vice president of medical affairs is usually the same thing as chief medical officer. Within the Piedmont system, uh, chief medical officers are responsible for quality and medical staff, whereas at, um, as the vice president of medical affairs at Swedish Ballard, yes, I was responsible for the medical staff, but more uh, more responsible for programmatic development of various service lines. So again, it just depends upon the hospital what your boss wants you to focus on. Um, and then I also threw up there the fact that you can get a lot of leadership experience in your volunteer roles, right? So I served on the board of directors both for the American Academy of Neurology, as well as for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. And again, that's a wonderful way to get experience in governance um, in other areas, uh, depending upon uh, what the organizations are expecting out of their boards. Next slide, please. So physician CEO, I mean, at the end of the day, by the time you become a hospital CEO, uh, your clinical expertise is no longer relevant. Obviously you have to be able to speak the language, but again, no one's really expecting me to be a neurologist at this point. And my main value to the organization is to be able to affect the culture and to cha- and to lead people successfully, whether or not they rep- report to me. Next slide. And I think that's it. I, I kept it pretty short because I realized this is a group of leaders already who probably understand kind of the role uh, way more than for physicians who are thinking of entering, but I'm happy to answer any questions y'all might have.
1: That's absolutely great presentation, Dr. Hanson. And, and I love the fact that um, that you out, the way you, you processed all the different roles that you played and tied them back to the role that you play now as the CEO. That was, I love that visual. So thank you for doing that. That, Uh, can't wait, Bruce, please send me this power, this PowerPoint. This is great. So we do have some questions and if you have questions, post them in the chat. Um, got questions coming in. Here's the first question. You mentioned that you, um, this is a question from Larry. How important is it for you as a physician leader to keep your medical board certification as a CEO. And then kind of the follow-up question is from your experience, has there been particular specialties that lend themselves more to moving into a senior executive role? But I'd love to hear the answer to both those questions and we'll get to some of these others.
4: Yeah, that's a, those are great questions. Um, so, um, you know, Larry asked first the question about importance of maintaining your board certification. I do think it's important to maintain your license and to maintain your board uh, and to keep up with your continuing medical education, right? Because at the end of the day, um, our, our there is always a guarantee of uh, employment as a physician or or work as a physician. And and all of us in leadership roles know that sometimes our positions can be uh, somewhat uh, spurious with respect to uh, their permanence. So uh, if you go back to, and you don't have to do this, but if you look at my CV, there is a three month, uh, six month period where I went back to being a clinician because my my personal life circumstances changed. I had to move back to Seattle and there were no leadership roles available, not Mm -hmm. real, leadership roles, like the ones that I was used to, they were more entry level um, leadership roles. Um, And so being able to flip back and being a clinician is really important. So maintaining that board certification, maintaining your medical license, maintaining your CME is really important. Uh, the second question was, you know, um, are there some specialties that are potentially better at becoming leaders than others? Uh, you're obviously—I smiled because obviously you're—you're you're looking at a neurologist and being a cognitive specialist as opposed to a proceduralist, right? I would argue yeah. that those of us who are cognitive uh, might be a little bit uh, more uh, 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 appropriate, but, but. That's a joke. I, I don't know yeah. that there's, and that anyone really knows uh, whether or not, um, you know, there's one specialty that, that makes you a better leader than others. I do want to, you know, make the comment that it is important, again, not to see being a physician leader um, as a retirement, uh, as a next step to retirement. I mean, mm-hmm. I think one of the, the most uh, frustrating comments I've heard from some folks um, is gosh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm. I'm so such and such an age. I'm thinking of retiring in the next three years. I thought I'd become a hospital chief medical officer uh, as a as my exit strategy. And I thought to myself, golly, you know, if that's the only thing you've done, then you are not prepared for that role, right? I mean, that might have been true back in the day. But um, I also smiled because I, although I'm a neurologist and not a proceduralist, I've been told that uh, my decision making can be somewhat surgical. And so it makes me wonder whether, you know, um, again, it's the physician uh, mentality about making a decision quickly to treat the patient that comes across as being surgical uh, to my non-clinical colleagues. So anyway, but I don't think there's any data yet about, you know, what type of specialists make you the best.
1: Yeah. And I want to, I mean, I have a question. I want to come back to that point, but there's another question. Great question from, um, um Marlene Sodden, um what is the key impact you would like to make your legacy with, uh, what what is the key impact you'd like to make what is your legacy in your current role in other words what's the impact that you're hoping to 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 have well I guess, you know what? yeah
4: I, I um you know, I mentioned earlier that I made the decision to go into leadership because it made, I realized that I had a larger impact. On uh, improving health to the community. And so to me, that's really important. Um, You know, I've only been here in Augusta for a short time, so I can't really speak to that, but I can say that when I was in Henry, I worked really collaboratively with the community to, uh, with the school district, with the uh, Henry County School. officials, public officials, as well as a local university to look at how do we, during the pandemic, how do we ensure that kids were able to go back to school um, safely uh, so that, you know, their parents could resume their day jobs. We looked at how do we uh, help Henry County students uh, who were interested in healthcare, get a, a foot up in the door uh, and get into college and come out of um, college quickly with minimal minimal debt and um, a a bachelor's of science and nursing degree so that we could grow more nurses. I mean, for me, that is the impact that I would love to see. And in particular, creating a culture within my own organization where people would want to come to work, right? We all talk about what a horrible uh, deficit we have in, in the labor market. And you know, obviously, uh, one thing I do have the ability to do is to create an environment where people want to come work. And so my hope is that you know, when I'm done with my my job here, that uh, Piedmont Augusta will have plenty of of uh, staff uh, that are happy and are all pulling in the same direction with respect to uh, making the health of our community better.
1: When you and I, when you and I talked originally, or email exchange originally about you uh, being our speaker in the webinar series. One of the things you and I talked about was this idea around understanding the skill sets that you brought to the table from a physician executive, physician leader. I would love for you to maybe share with the audience that what are some of the things that you had to learn from the non-physician leader perspective? In other words, what were the, some of the things you had to learn in terms of how to communicate with them? You've mentioned that a little bit in your presentation about, you know, solving problems, et cetera, being more strategic. But what are some of the things you learned from non-position leaders about the role that you needed to play? Oh,
4: that's a wonderful question. You know, um, I smile again because um, I had the pleasure of working with an amazing executive team uh, back in my old hospital. Again, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm learning my new, new team and I know we're uh, we'll have a great time here as well. But one of the things I loved best about the team was that they all came with very different perspectives. And this is about the importance of diversity, right? So uh, uh, at one point, I was one of uh, only two individuals who had come from a nonprofit background. Uh, My colleagues uh, had all come from um, for profit healthcare organizations. And again, not Coming from a clinical standpoint, so, you know, my finance, my chief financial officer, my chief operating officer, my chief nursing officer, and my CEO at the mm-hmm. time were all from for-profits. A couple of them were clinicians, but definitely my CFO was not. And uh, being able to learn from all of them, their different perspectives and their different viewpoints, really made us a very effective team, I think because um, at the end of the day, although my CFO and and I in particular would argue about whether a program was needed or not needed, at the end of the day, he taught me that no money, no mission, right? And that I had to be thoughtful about how, what I pushed for from a clinical standpoint, because if we went out of business, we weren't doing anybody any good. And so um, I really think that coming from very different backgrounds really made us a stronger team. And um, and I would argue that all of us would benefit from that. Um, I think you know you know again it wasn't pretty listening to some of the arguments if you think about it. But but again we came up with a better product and I'm really proud of that. Uh,
1: Absolutely great answer. And uh, Jordan Bowen has got a really great question. Um, and, And I love this. You just hit it. You just hit hinted at this need for collaboration, collegiality, and connection. And this question really speaks to it, uh, speaks to that point. How can leaders with only business training, the non-clinical leaders and no clinical training, better assist and align with physician leaders um, who's starting starting off? In other words, how as leaders can we support it? Great question, Jordan.
4: Absolutely, I would argue that you know, uh, just like you know, we, we we talk about you know diet partners, right? We do. We need diet partners for finance, and 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 you know, I was really fortunate again to to have a really good relationship both with my CFO and my director of finance, who would sit me down and explain to me all of these numbers that I had that made absolutely no sense and help me understand the significance of it, and uh, being able to. To work together um, again to pull in the same direction is is really critical. You know, my CFO gave me little tidbits that were perfect for the for the that that made me be able to to provide a compelling argument to support what we needed to do for our community. And and I think again, you know, um, not having the fear of uh, sounding dumb or, you know, wondering what the heck these numbers mean, right? I mean, for a, for a physician, when I look at a our profit and loss statement, my, my brain goes blank, uh, at, used to anyway, until my CFO literally sat down and said, okay, these are the things you need to be focusing on. This mm-hmm. is why this is important, right? This is why you need to be thinking of this because it helps you do this. And um, I think having those conversations and putting us in rooms together to talk more and to work collaboratively is really critical. So I, I think that's really something that's really important.
1: We, one of the things that uh, at last, at the ACAT Congress, I noticed this last year, there was a lot more, as you know, you you showed the numbers, a lot more physician leaders than there were just not too many years ago. But to, to the physicians aspiring to leadership roles, um, I love the fact that you said it's not a, a, a necessarily a, an in-game retirement strategy to be a CMO or whatever it might be. Where's a good place to start? Uh, where would be a good place for a physician who wants to get involved with leadership, wants to test the waters, still is practicing in whatever specialty that they're in. Where's a good place within their health system or within the market that is a place for them to get their feet wet.
4: You know, that's a great question and and I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I gave a lecture earlier uh, last week at the American Academy of Neurology to neurologists about, you know, again the same journey that I've been mm-hmm. on and the importance of of wh- why it's important to have physician leaders but how it's also important to make sure that you're prepared, right? And uh what I I tell physicians is that you know you need to volunteer you need to broaden your your perspective and and recognize that what you're trying to achieve in a physician leadership role is not about the title right mm-hmm. it's about what you're trying to do together with your your colleagues with respect to improving the health of the community um and no one's going to pay you initially to do that role right unless Correct. Right. You know, unless money is falling out of the sky, no one's going to pay you to do that. So you have to put in the sweat equity. You have to put in uh, time to to learn different parts of healthcare, which traditionally, as physicians, were not exposed to. but um, think we know about. I'll be the first one to acknowledge that. And so, being exposed to the to the very complicated area uh, fields of of healthcare is important. And I tell people they have to volunteer. They can't expect Mm -hmm. to just have someone, you know, suddenly touch them with a wand and expect to have some great job land on, land upon them. If I think about all of the roles that I've had over the years that have given me um, the experience that has then allowed me to, you know, I think be successful where I am. It's because I've spent a lot of hours, uh, you know, Three hours working on committees, working on credentialing, reading bylaws, um, learning about a small segment of the healthcare industry, which has then allowed me to learn more and um, and be more effective. So,
1: the um, one of the, uh, in the back channel, I got a text just now, and somebody wanted to ask this question. This was a question I would have asked too. Um. When you just when you made that move into the role of leadership as a physician, where where were the naysayers? Where were your colleagues? What did your colleagues say? Were there any colleagues that were like, Dr. not this is not what you should be doing, or you're gonna become a suit or whatever? Whatever. How did you deal with that? And did you have that situation? Were there doctors that said, no, that's probably not a good move?
4: Well, that's funny that you say that. Um, I think I got into my first leadership role was on the medical executive committee and I I was elected in and I didn't actually think I was qualified uh, to join the medical executive committee. I was a relatively new neurologist at the time. And I think my colleagues who voted me in Uh, were snickering, you know, behind their hands as they voted me in because it was like, oh, make her do it because that way we don't have to do it. Right. So I think I think there was a little bit of that, quite frankly, as opposed to, oh, no, you don't want to do that. They were happy to have me be responsible because they didn't want to deal with it. Um, So I think that that's. But there was a second part to that question that I missed that I was also laughing about. Well, yeah, well,
1: yeah well, the second question was like, kind of what was your response? Like when they, when, when one of your, when you, one of your, um, yeah. um, so that's really interesting. Yeah. I'd love for well, how you, you know, responded to that. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And and I have to say, you know, I I I was pretty clear. I didn't think I was qualified. And so uh, but that's why I started taking all these courses through uh the American College of Physician Executives and really, really enjoyed it. The other thing, you know, that's really important that I didn't put on my slideshow, but I did share with with the physicians when I gave them the same talk was it's okay to fail, right? I mm. think I alluded to that earlier on in one of the questions but in our leadership roles uh, there are times when either because of our own actions or because of organizational decisions or the economy or whatever it is that we may not we may lose our leadership roles and that's okay and, and a, a key life lesson i share with a lot of my young physician colleagues is it's okay to fail um you know i think all of us are used to being successful academically Uh, And so failure feels like the end of the world, but it's okay to fail. It's okay to take a step back um, as long as you learn from learn whatever lesson there is to be learned from stepping back or from failing uh, and then moving on. And so um, I think, you know, I'm a big firm believer that sometimes when one door closes, another door opens because that door has closed. And so I try to, I try to encourage my colleagues to keep their eyes on that because sometimes you do take a step back before you can take a step forward.
1: Absolutely. Matt, uh, if you'd like to unmute, uh, Matt Aston made a point. He wanted to point out the importance of patience in the process. And Matt, if you'd like to unmute and uh uh, make your comment and maybe ask a question of Dr. Henson. Uh, I'd love, love for you to do that.
0: Sure, sure. And uh, actually, uh, uh, Dr. Henson, thanks for being there. I really appreciate this. Um, and you actually touched on the point I was going to make just now. Um, it, just looking back at your CV, you know, what often gets overlooked is the amount of time it takes to reach that goal. Uh, so patience is so such an important thing. Um, I, I have to do this with myself, you know, because I'm not just starting my 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 journey but I'm, I'm a ways down there but I also realized that I can't step from where I am now into the role of a CEO because there are things I need to learn so uh, I just wanted to uh, point that out that you know having all these goals and all these dreams is fantastic but it t- it's not going to happen overnight um and that uh the failure part is such an important thing you're going to fail because you have to learn it's not so much a failure it's a learning thing so
4: and I think I just saw, thank you. Uh, you know, I think I just saw a little a question that popped up about uh, whether I was willing to share a failure. And uh, I'm happy to do that because I think at the end of the day, we do best by learning from our failures. So, um at one point, um, this may be a bit of a long story, but at one point, Um, I, when I was early on in my leadership role, uh, I was the medical director for specialties and was having difficulty uh, agreeing with my medical, my surgical specialties counterpart and, and our inability to come to an agreement and move forward uh, was really uh, problematic. And I thought, you know, I thought we weren't exactly fighting in the hallways or anything, but it was clear that we weren't, uh, we could not get to a common point. And as a result, both of us lost our, our jobs uh, as leaders. And um it was pretty devastating. You know, um I I uh, I took a step back and I said, you know, it would have been easy to say, oh, it was all the other person's fault. She was mm-hmm. totally unreasonable, blah, 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 blah. You know, you could imagine how um, you could you could do the self-pity game. Um, but I, I said, well, you know, that was a lesson learned, right? Um, sometimes you're not going to get what you want and you're going to have to figure out how to get to a common point that you can live with that can allow you to move forward. Because at the end of the day, what the person who we reported to, I think was the chief medical officer Mm -hmm. needed from the two of us was a common direction that we could pull towards. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a really good learning experience, you know, um, again i you know picked myself up off the ground patted myself and um but the other lesson in that was you know i was obviously pretty devastated uh, again young at the time but somebody reached out to me uh, when that happened and it was someone that i had had to lay off about a year before uh, because of financial circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, we had to downsize by one FTE in the internal medicine department. This individual, I chose because I knew he could not become productive enough for us to turn things around, and so it was really hard to to terminate him. But when he when I did terminate him, I did it with as much hopefully grace and support mm-hmm. as I could. And I also worked to help him find another role in a different organization. And, and uh, when when the public announcement came out about my being uh, terminated from my uh, medical director role, he reached out to me and he said, hey, I just want you to know, I know what you're going through. I just want you to know I landed really well and I thank you for it. And wow. it's a reminder that you know to fail as human. It's important to to treat others with grace and with respect, and um, and that was probably one of the the biggest things that saved me during that that all, my own difficult time. So um, so it was a wonderful life lesson for me.
1: Well, yeah, what a great life lesson to learn for uh, right. you know. The, the, and where where does the empathy come from? Is is experience right? Having yeah. that experience. I stole this from someone, but uh, I heard someone say one day that their superpower was failure. And I thought, you know, that pretty much sums up my career as well. So I thought that kind of speaks to it is understanding you learn from it, showing empathy for those who've been dealt with the same blows. And uh, what a great, what a great story. Uh, Carmen's got a great question. And, and this Hi, is. Hi, Carmen. Hey, Carmen Williams. Do you have any favorite leadership books, courses, or podcasts that you would recommend? And I'm a book person, so I'm ready to take notes.
4: There's, um, and I'll I'll have to send it, I should have included in my presentation, but uh, um, there was a couple of books I've read that were really helpful. Uh, One was uh, called Executive Presence. And um, it, you know, it's a little binder, uh, not a big book, Uh, I think it was softback, but wonderful uh, book about how you come across, right? Because sometimes it isn't the book smarts. It isn't the experience. It's also how you, you conduct yourself in front of others. And this was a very um, interesting book that really made you think carefully about how you come across to others, because I think that's part of the the overall package Um, five dysfunctions of a team, I think is, is really wonderful. Um, Crucial conversations, right? Another really important book because you can't be a, an offic- an effective chief medical officer or a CEO, definitely. if You can't have those difficult conversations with people. Um, it doesn't mean you like having them, but it means that you can do it. Um, and then there's another book um, that um, my former... Um, Mentor from uh, the Dolan Scholars, Frank Byrne recommended. I'm blanking on the name of it. Again, I can send you that particular slide to share. Uh, but the the book was about negotiating for your salary and what your self worth was, and particularly for uh, the women in this group. It talks about the disparity that starts when you first come out of your your out of college or training, and you negotiate for your salary and how. Accepting something, uh, some something less, um, will affect you for the rest of your life, and I certainly have seen that. Again, you know, money is not everything, um, and uh, but certainly, you know, seeing your value and negotiating for it um, with with confidence is really important. I think, in particular, a lot of us have imposter syndrome and uh think that we are not worthy and uh you know obviously a a good sense of humility is important but also recognizing what we bring to the table um is valuable is really important
1: yeah and i put in the chat the the five functional functions of a team um that his that author is one that i follow as well and um uh carmen says hi dr dr henson thank you We probably have time for one last question Um, and uh, I don't see another one in the chat, but um, here's my last question for you, Dr. Henson. Tell me, I love the idea about the fact that you've moved into this executive leadership role to scale your impact. Um, And I I love that. Could you just share with us where you've had, what's one of the successes you've had that you just like, that said, you know what, I'm in the right place. I am doing the right thing. I would love for you to share. You just shared a failure. What's just one success that you've had in scaling your impact as a leader that's just like that just kind of said, Yeah, I'm I'm where I was supposed to be?
4: Um, that's a great question. Before I jump into that, there is one comment I want to make, which is, you know, uh it. I, I never wanted to be a hospital CEO when I grew up <laughs> so you know it wasn't about it, it really wasn't about the title uh it was really about just being able to make an impact regardless of whatever role it was i was in and I really saw my impact as being chief medical officer. And uh, for me, again, I'll talk about Henry because I was there uh, for a period of time as opposed to my short time here at, in Augusta. But I, I'm confident with the help of people like Linda Jabinski, who I see on the call, uh, that, that we I can make a similar difference here. Is um, when I went to Henry, it was a hospital where uh, we had a lot of quality issues, where people didn't want to come work. Um, nurses who lived in Henry County didn't want to come work there. Uh, People didn't want to get their medical care there because of our reputation. And I feel like uh, with a group of really great folks, um, because we had wonderful staff, right? wonderful Mm -hmm. folks at Henry, um, being able to turn uh, our reputation around so that people would come to Henry for their medical care. Uh, as a matter of fact, at the time that I left, I mean, people were coming from other counties and overwhelming our emergency room because um, mm. the reputation of the care that we provide was so great. Um, again, don't want that to be about me. It was really about having all the resources of Piedmont Healthcare behind me to do that, similarly to what I'm doing currently. But being able to make a difference. Um, so our, you know, the motto for uh, what Piedmont Promise is to make a positive difference in every life we touch. And it really speaks to me because I feel like, you know, uh, the care that we provided in Henry County um, and for the surrounding counties really, really uh, was solidified because of some of the work that I was able to do there. We're now a level three trauma center. Our emergency room is one of the busiest in the state. Um, you know, we're we're growing by leaps and bounds. What we did uh, during COVID. Uh, was spectacular. We were, uh, despite the fact that we were 1% of all the acute care beds in the state of Georgia, we took care of 5% of the admitted COVID patients. So really, really wonderful care. And I'm really grateful to have been able to lead a team of people, right? Really dedicated healthcare leaders and, and, and staff was able to do that.
1: And we have time. There is a question I missed earlier. And uh, you spoke to this a little bit, but it's uh, from uh, my friend, Ravi Batra. Ravi, thanks for being in the audience. What have you found from your background in being a neurologist that's helped in being a CEO? Boy,
4: that's a hard one. Um, That's a heavy question. Yeah. Neurologists are... you know, we're, we're the pocket protector group of medicine. Uh, we really are the geeks in medicine. And so we tend to be cognitive. And before, you know, we had CTs and MRs and all these fancy things. Yeah. We used to uh, focus on listening carefully to patients in order to, become, in order to come up with a diagnosis. Again, this is pre-CT and MRI. Yeah. And I think um, that skill set about being able to listen carefully to people is really important. I've never
1: had That's, that question asked, but I think it's a good question. Well, I like that question, and 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 I've shared with you my personal journey as a brain injury survivor, so I thank you for being able to do that as a neurologist <laughs> and those, all the other neurologists. I think we're completed. Bruce, I'm going to hand it back to you. Dr. Henson, thank you. Uh, fantastic <laughs> discussion. Thank you, everyone that was in the chat. And, uh, Bruce, I'll hand it back to you to wrap up.
2: Mm, wow, what a great session. Uh, Dr. Henson, thanks so much for uh, for being on today and sharing your journey, uh, just fascinating. I think we're really lucky to have you here in the state of Georgia. So thanks so much, uh, Marion, uh, wow. Thanks for such a, doing a, such a great job as moderator and stepping up. I sure appreciate that. And, uh, and thank you for, uh, for sponsoring today too, for, uh, Comar partners. So we sure appreciate that. And, uh, and thanks again to our annual sponsors. Uh, we appreciate everything they do for us, uh, to provide leadership um, for the healthcare industry in Georgia, um, let's see. As a rem- as a reminder, um, you know we'll be sending out an, e- uh, an email evaluation later today. That's going to include Dr. Henson's video of today's session. I'll also have our slide deck with all those resources. I'll have the attendee list in there. Uh, but be sure to uh, to. Uh, to click the evaluation and, and to send us your feedback so we can continue to make improvements to our programs. Uh, also, be sure to uh, self-report one hour of qualified credit on the ACHE website. It's in the My ACHE section on the right side. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, have a great afternoon and uh, we hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. Hopefully, uh, Maggiado is on May 18th. So have a great day, everyone.
0: This has been the GAHI Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gdayhd.com.